Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. Glad to have you here. Glad to see visitors here. If you uh, are a visitor, we welcome you. Glad you're here worshiping with us and hope that the congregation will be warm and receptive. Uh, the beautiful flowers are given in memory of Mary James Blakeman and to the glory of God. I have to tell a little story. The first time we were in this uh, sanctuary, Mary James had talked to us about the flowers. And she asked me, did I have anything, you know, any point of view I wanted to make about the flowers? She said, I don't care what you do, just don't make me have to look through them. Don't make them above the pulpit. Well, I came in here and Bobby Barber was in here as well. And I said, doggone it. I said, I'm going to have to look through those flowers. And Bobby said, no, you aren't. He got his pocket knife out and he mowed them down right across. <laughs> I think that led to Mary James's death several years later. <laughs> but our, uh, we had a great time about flowers. She said, if I don't appreciate flowers, she's not going to put any on the backside and things like that. But anyway, good memories that we, we had. Um, Congratulations to Taylor and Leanna Miller on the birth of their daughter, Margaret Taylor. Everybody seems to be doing well. Our Christian sympathy goes to Barbara Morris's family and also to Kay Darty's uh, Horton and the loss of their husband and, and Miss Morris's death and praying for Terry and Vicki and everybody else as they mourn her passing. Uh, you'll hear more about when those funerals will be this week. Also, Ben is preaching through Romans. He's on Romans 2, 6 through 11 tonight. You see that other announcements are made. If you aren't a Sunday school person and you haven't gotten in because you don't want to join the middle of a class, well, we just started all new classes this week, and so you can join next week, and you'll be right in step with everybody else. With no more announcements, let's prepare our hearts to worship God together.
The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Colossians chapter 3. Join me, we'll read responsively. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We love you, O Lord, our strength. You are our rock and our fortress and our deliverer, our God, our rock in whom we take refuge, our shield and the horn of our salvation, our stronghold. And so we call upon you, O Lord, for you are worthy to be praised and we are saved from our enemies. Worthy are you, O Lord Jesus, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So come, be blessed among your people as we sing and read and hear from your holy word and these ordinances of your worship. Come, Holy Spirit, and purify our hearts that our inward motions may match our outward motions. May we be filled with love and warmth and affection for you, our living God. May you be glorified among your people. May we be blessed to cling more to you. We pray it all for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, and now we pray together as he himself taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our profession of faith is printed there in your bulletin, the Apostles' Creed. You know, we say this in unison, but don't miss that we read it in the first person. We say, I believe. Um, so this is indeed a profession of our shared faith. But before that, it must be a profession of your own faith. So the question that's being asked here is, do you believe these things? This is our opportunity to declare to one another, um, to our own hearts, uh, what God has made clear to us in His Word concerning His Son and our Savior. So I'll ask you, Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Take your hymnals in hand and open to 580. Let's sing praise to our God. Lead on, O King Eternal.
Amen. Please be seated. Turn in your hymnals uh, to page 792, and printed there for us is Psalm 25. One commentator points out here about Psalm 25 that repentance and contrition, that is a, a turning from our sin and a contrition for our sin, these things find vent in confession and prayer. So if, if you have trouble turning from sin and finding uh, contrition for sin, he would encourage us to pray and confess our sin to the Lord. He goes on to say, may these holy exercises be the home of our souls. Indeed, may, may God's word lead us to more repentance and contrition, even as we read it together. I'll read the plain text. You join me on the bold. This is God's word from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress, and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased, and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. As we go to him in prayer, I want to encourage you in your own prayers. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we're in a new year all of a sudden, at least that's how it feels, and um, we have renewed zeal towards God's Word and towards prayer in our own private lives. And if you're like me, it helps to have something to guide your prayers. So this morning, most of our uh, morning prayer is a combination of several parts of a small book called Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers, and if you need help finding repentance and contrition by confession and prayer, the Valley of Vision would be very helpful for you. Um, it's very helpful for me, and I pray, uh, even as we pray now, that it will be helpful for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, yours is surpassing greatness, unspeakable goodness, superabundant grace. We know but a part but that part even exceeds all praise. We thank you, O Lord, for personal mercies that you've given to us, a measure of health, preservation of body, the comforts of house and home, sufficiency of food and clothing. We thank you for continuance of mental powers. We thank you for our families, their mutual help and support. We thank you, Lord, for the delights of domestic harmony and peace and the seats that are now filled that might have been vacant. We thank you for our country and our church, our Bibles and our faith. 
Lord, you have blessed us with so much, and we praise you for your abundant grace and mercy toward us. You have poured out so many blessings. Who else could give us all these things but the God of heaven and earth, the one who's made all things and upholds all things? You are worthy of all praise and adoration, all dependence and trust. But Lord, this morning before you, how we mourn our sin and our ingratitude and our vileness. Forgive us, O Lord, for serving you in sinful ways. Forgive us for glorying in our own strength, for forcing ourselves to minister through necessity. Forgive us, Lord, for accepting the applause of others. Forgive us for trusting in assumed grace and spiritual affection. Lord, forgive us for a faith that rests upon our hold on Christ and not on Him alone. Forgive us, O Lord, for having other foundations to stand upon besides You. We praise You and thank You for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken our sin upon Himself and His cross and paid the penalty that we owed so that we might not know death but only ever know life and that abundantly in Him. Stir up our faith, O Lord, that we may trust Him. If there's any in here, O Lord, that do not know Him, would You bring them to a knowledge of their sin and misery, of their need for a Savior, and draw them unto Christ through the ministry of Your Word and Spirit. Lord, this morning we ask for Your people that You would deliver us from worldly dispositions, for we are born from above and bound for glory. May we view and long after holiness as the beauty and dignity of the soul. Let us never slumber, never lose our assurance, never fail to wear armor when passing through enemy land. Would you fit us for every scene and circumstance of life? We are mindful, Lord, of the many among us who are hurting and in pain, and we ask that you would lift them up with strength beyond their ability and give them grace to trust you in every passing moment and every unexpected wave of, of grief and anguish. Lord, be with your people in, in their times of trouble and let them know your presence and care. Stay all of our minds upon you and would you turn our trials to blessings that they may draw out our gratitude and praise as we see the design and effects of all things that you work to your good and perfect ends. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your word and the kindness that you have shown us in providing us with the revelation of your will, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as your servant stands to preach, let not his words be merely elegant and masterly. Let not his reasoning be merely polished and refined. Let not his performance be powerless and tasteless, but may he exalt you and humble sinners. O Lord of power and grace, all our hearts are in your hands. All events of our lives are at your disposal. Come and set the seal of your almighty will upon this time of worship and praise and upon all of our lives. We pray for the glory of Christ and in his name. Amen. Let's stand again and praise our God. Number 605, All the Way My Savior Leads Me.
great singing. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and you do good. And every good gift comes from you, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow of turning. And you are a good God, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, even the Holy Spirit. So we gather today as people who have known your goodness, grace, and mercy, and I pray that it might have that desired effect on us, that we might be contented, that we might be uh, not anxious, but trusting in your mercies throughout our lives. May fear be cast away and peace be brought near to us beyond understanding. And we give you a portion of what we have. We give a tithe unto you and we give it cheerfully. We give it with great expectation that you'll use it to bless your people, bring more people into the kingdom of God and build your kingdom around the world. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. As you know, we have been uh, away from Hebrews for the past two or three weeks. We go back, and most of you know what it is, but let me give you a brief review. It is written to a Jewish people who have become Christians. And because of persecution, people being thrown in prison, having their property uh, captured and taken away from them, these Jewish Christians decided it might be better to go back. It might just be better to go back and be Jewish people. So he writes them to, to, to don't drift away from Christ, to don't harden your heart towards the things of Christ, don't fall away from Christ, and don't shrink back from following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a book that we don't know who wrote it, but we clearly see why he wrote it, to keep people persevering in the faith in spite of all kind of persecution. But at the end of chapter 10, he gives this great encouragement. He says, don't shrink back. And then he goes on to say, and I know that you're not the type of people who will shrink back. He's giving all these warnings, these exhortations, encouragements, but he's doing so knowing that these people are real, genuine believers. And so he's going to say, now, in order to continue in the faith, to not shrink back, you need to know what it means to live by faith. Not just to be saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to live by faith. And he gives about 25 examples. He names 17 of them and gives more than that by just what happened to him. And so he's saying, here's how you live by faith. And today we want to study Abraham. So look at Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who has made the promise. And so from his, this one man, and he as good as dead, became descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city. For them. That's God's word to God's people. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a light. Make it a light upon our path. Guide us in ways of holiness and truth. Even today, as we study this passage, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Abraham is by far the best example of anybody in the Bible to talk about faith. If you wanted one great example of all the people that probably were listed in the Old Testament, you would probably pick out Abraham. And that's the reason whoever wrote Hebrews picked Abraham to be the one that he gave the most press to, spilt the most ink over, talked about the most. Because he wanted to show you that not only was Abraham really our father, that all who believe are children of Abraham. We are the children as numerous as the sand on the sand seashore and the stars in the sky. We're his children. We're the fulfillment of his promise. Uh, we not only see that those promises are fulfilled in him by faith, we also see in Genesis chapter 15, he's justified by faith. And so if you're going to talk to a group of Jewish people who become Christian, that are tempted to leave, the best person probably to talk to them about is Abraham. Abraham shows you what it means to live by faith. And what does it mean to live by faith? 
Well, it means uh, by faith he obeyed, and he lived like an alien and a stranger. By faith, he and Sarah were enabled to have children, and by faith, he was faithful to the very end. By faith, he, was obe he obeyed and became an alien and a stranger. The command to Abraham was really simple. Go. Leave. King James says, get thee out of there. You know, I like that language. Get thee out of there. And so there was more behind it than just moving. There was a reason and an urgency behind. But although God told him to leave, God didn't tell him where to go. I'll show you later. I'll tell you later. If you or if I were going to go somewhere, probably in this day and time, we'd get our phone out and we would type in where our destination was and we'd not only know how long it took us to get there, we would know how to get there, and we'd be given alternate routes, wouldn't we? You know, we would, you know, Sarah and I often think about, it. what did we do before we had those phones? We used those maps. Remember using maps, and you had those little bitty lines, and, it, and we ended up being lost a lot. But anyway, God didn't just tell him to leave, to go, to get thee out of there. He didn't even tell him what direction. You know, when I, I know we probably don't have the whole conversation between God and Abraham, but there's no go north, south, east, or west. It's just leave. Can you imagine going home and telling your wife, well, the Lord spoke to me, and we, we, we've got to move. We need to start packing. Well, where are we going? I don't know. Well, uh, who told you to get there? God. Well, how did God tell you to get there? And then... Sarah would probably say, meaning Sarah in the Bible would probably say, what God told you to get there? Because Ur of the Chaldeans was a polytheistic land where they worshiped many gods and idols. And so here we have Abraham obeying God out of sheer faith because God told him to and he believed God's word. And leaving wasn't easy. I don't know if you've ever had to leave somewhere, but it's not really easy. He wasn't a teenager ready to go home or get out of the home. He wasn't taking a promotion and taking a job somewhere. He was 75 years old. He was established in a place where he lived, and he had friends and family there. And not only was that city, uh, his city, it was well-developed. There were mathematical calculations there, geometry, primitive geometry. There were educational facilities. There were business climate and records. Uh, we see this in all the historical and archaeological finds about Ur of the Chaldeans. It would be now the southern part of Iraq in, in the Mesopotamian Valley. And so it was a great place, but it was a pagan place. And it was known to be worshiping the moon god. And they had these ziggurats. A ziggurat is, well, I was going to say it's like a pyramid, but it's not. It's, it looks like a great big Indian mound with a smaller Indian mound on top, with a smaller Indian mound on top, with a temple on top. And they still found, in Ur of the Chaldeans, they found this ziggurat there today. And the top is gone, but the bottom layers are there. And they worship God the God of the moon. And so out of that city where he was stable, secure, had satisfaction, family, with his pagan God, God said leave. You can imagine that people probably didn't encourage him to leave. You know, when you've... Let's say somebody comes to my office and tells me they're leaving. The first thing I try to do is talk them out of it, you know? You leave in Cleveland and Covenant, you've got to be out of God's will, you know. Uh, something's got to be wrong. But you, you, you understand it's difficult to leave, isn't it? When Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan's great work that he wrote in prison, I think it's the second best-selling book outside of the Bible in all the world. If you hadn't read it, you need to make that as one of your resolutions for the new year to find it and read it. Um, but anyway, when he got ready to leave, or he got called out of the city of destruction, he had been warned by evangelists to leave, and so he tried to talk his family into going, and they thought he was crazy, and they tried to talk him out of it. 
And then he tried to explain to people in his city why he was leaving the city of destruction and going to the celestial city. And here's kind of a little bit of the dialogue. John Bunyan conveyed in Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian explained his departure to those who tried to keep him from leaving his home and were puzzled by his eagerness to depart a comfortable worldly life, Christian urged them to come with him. Everything you forsake is worthy of being compared, not worthy of being compared to what I'm seeking to enjoy. And one of the men replied, What are these things you seek? And since you're willing to leave all the world to find them. And Christian answered, I seek an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. It is reserved and safe in heaven, and is to be given at the time appointed to all who diligently seek him. They tried to talk him out of going. They tried to ask him, why are you going? But he went anyway. So you have this Christian story about leaving, and you have Abraham being called to leave everything, and you go, man, what would I do if that happened to me? That has happened to you. That is the Christian call. To leave all and to follow Christ. Maybe not literally and actually, but figuratively and spiritually, that's what you have been called to do. When Jesus came to the disciples, he says, come and follow me. He didn't say, come and follow me to Jerusalem, come and follow me to the Sea of Galilee, come and follow me to, come and follow me. When he was uh, trying to comfort his disciples, he talked about, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also, and the way you know, and the, and the place you know. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And what does Jesus say? I am the way. And so we are called to follow and go after Christ, to follow him in everything that we do. And so what happens is faith, living faith, that grows out of saving faith, makes all of us pilgrims. Every one of us are really pilgrims. We're progressing to the celestial city. We're climbing the hill of difficulty. We're going through the sea of despondency. We're meeting with fair-weather Christians. We're meeting with all kinds of things that Christian met in Pilgrim's Progress. And we're strangers and we're aliens. Those aren't nice terms to call people. You know, we read them so much, you know, aliens. Those were different kind of people. You know, they lived among us, but they were different. I can remember in, in uh, elementary school, we had this guy move, and his name was Carmenda Paul Singh Dollywall. And he was just a little different because he came from a Hindu family and his mom and dad came to... Uh, activities, you know, she had the dot on her head and she wore all the dress and stuff and you could pick them out. You know, when you go overseas, as some of you have, you stick out like a sore thumb. You try to look like you're not an American, but everybody knows you're American. And when Sarah and I went to Maine and we went into uh, Dunkin' Donuts and I ordered probably a cup of coffee and a cinnamon roll, the lady said, would you repeat that order? And the lady next to her said, don't repeat it. She just wants to hear you talk Southern again. And I said, if you think you talk funny, you ought to listen to yourself, you know. <laughs> Y'all sound pretty weird to me as well. But we're different when we become Christians, or we should be. We're aliens. We're strangers. We don't fit in. We're in the world. We're, we're not of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. We know we don't belong here. And we're looking for a city whose builder is God, who has foundations. Now think about foundations. What he's saying is nothing here has foundations. Nothing's going to last forever. When you build a house, the first thing you do is you put down the foundation. It's an essential thing. It is the essential thing. And what this passage is saying, the essential thing in your life ought to be this heavenly city, this this place where you're a pilgrim towards, that your destination affects how you travel in the world. If you were going to, this time of year, to Anchorage, Alaska, or to Key West, Florida, you would pack differently. 
if you are going, setting your ultimate goal on heaven versus this world, you, your life looks a little bit different. Your values are different. Your ethics are different. Your morals are different. How you spend your time is different. How you spend your money is different. Is it so? Are we really that different? There was a book written years ago, and of course I couldn't find it, but I remember its essence was basically said, um, there are saints among us. And what it did was this book described a survey that was taken of professing Christians, not of just everybody, but professing Christians. And then they asked these professing Christians about their ethics and their values and their lifestyle. And basically, he came to the conclusion there are about 10% of professing Christians that actually are different than the average person in the society. You go, well, how in the world could I be different? Let's hope you have a Christian accountant. But what if you didn't have a Christian accountant? And what if you wanted to talk to him about financial planning and about your 401k or my 403, whatever the letter is, B or whatever it is. And he says, well, looking at your expenditures here, I see that you give a lot of money to the church and to other Christian organizations. If you would give a little bit less to those things, you know, you could really maybe afford another car. And maybe you could fund your, your 401k to the max. And you go, no, nah, that's not negotiable. God's called us to give generously. And he said, well, I do a lot of tax returns, but you're one of the few that really take that serious. Or what if you were running a business? And I think about Chick-fil-A. And you decide, hey, I'm going to close down on Sunday. And the guy comes in and said, hey, you know, we get a lot of traffic by our stores on the interstate, you know, and if you'd open on Sunday. And there's actually a lawsuit against uh, Chick-fil-A up in the Northeast. They're trying to make them open on Sunday. Can you believe that? So anyway, and the guy said, hey, if you would, you know, open on Sunday, you'd have better business. They're different. I'm not saying, you know, where do you show your difference in any way? You know, I, I hate to mention a worn-out story I use all the time about Eric Little, who was running in the Olympics, and he found out that he had to run on Sunday. And he went to his coach, and he said, I'm not running on Sunday. And the coach probably said, hey, Eric, it's, it's one day in your whole life. It's the Olympics, man. It's the Olympics. He goes, I'm not running on Sunday. And everybody thought he was crazy. You see, that's what it means. I'm, I'm not trying to be hard on it, but how distinctive are we? Are we really pilgrims? Do our time and money and passions really show that? That's what Sunday's all about. Referring to Pilgrim's Progress again, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, he, he goes to this house called beautiful or the if you read it in the old version i think it's the palace beautiful but house beautiful and he has been coming through all of these difficulties and trials and tribulations and depressions and discouragement and he comes to this beautiful house and he almost doesn't go because the lions are in front of him he goes into the house and what they do is uh they encourage him they have all these christian names for all these friends you know and they encourage him and then the next day, after they let him rest and feed him, they take him to the armory. And they show him the sword, the shield, the helmet, the breastplate, the prayer, and the shoes that do not wear out. Those are, you know, shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Those come from the, the army, the soldier in Ephesians. And then they take him to another room. They show him Moses' rod, the hammer and the nail, which J.L. slew Sisera, the pitchers and the trumpets and the lamps which Gideon put to flight the armies of Midian. They showed him the ox goad where Shamgar slew 600 people. They showed him the jawbone in which Samson did the mighty feats that he did. They showed him the sling and the arrow, that da the sling and the stone that David used to kill Goliath. And then after they showed him that, there's, there's, so there's one more thing we need to do. 
And what we need to do is we need to take you to the Delectable Hills. And when you go to the Delectable Hills, you can oversee what is called the Emmanuel's Land. And right on the other side of Emmanuel's Land is the Celestial City and the Gate. And he said that vision will help you traverse all the difficulties. I've, I've meditated on that a little bit. I said, do you know what they're saying? That's what we're doing here. That's what I'm doing today. I'm saying, look back at what God did. Look back at Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Isaiah and David. Look back. Look back and remember that God is your God. And you look ahead to where you're going. And you live the life of faith and the tension between the faithfulness of God and the behind you and the faithfulness of God that's before you. That's what we're doing this morning. Trying to travel as pilgrims faithfully. And I'm not going to have enough time. By faith, we're enabled. Not only are we aliens, but we're enabled. Sarah was enabled. She was given power, ability. She was given grace. The word is really dunamis, which is easy to see where we get the word dynamite. She was given the power to do something. And that's the reason Luther said this. Luther says, faith is not so much of something we do. It's something God does in us. That God does this work of faith in our heart and we live it out. But Sarah is important to the story. Real important. And you know, what do you know about Sarah? Most of what you know is not very good. She got tired of waiting to have a child and said, look, me and you are not doing so good at this so why don't you take my servant Hagar and have a child by Hagar and so he thought that was a good idea and he took her word and he encouragement and he took Hagar as his concubine he had a child named Ishmael and then she mistreated Hagar and Ishmael until they left and God had to come find them and bring them back and then finally she gets to where she's 89 and God comes and to their tent and tells Abraham and Sarah that by this time next year you're going to have a child. And what does she do? She laughs. She laughs. And God says, basically, I'm going to turn your laughter into a child. And the word laughter and Isaiah are closely related. God got the last laugh. But what, what's that tell you? That God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. That God is bringing out her faith, her faith that served the kingdom of God well, the faith that served her husband well, the faith that caused the seed of the promise to come from her. And God was pleased because her faith was built on the faithfulness of God. That's what it says, the faithfulness of God. Obviously, she began to think about God and hearing the stories about God and said, hey, he's always done what he said. Why not doing this? Now, I want you to think about something. At Christmas, we talk about the virgin birth. And it's the key. Jesus was fully God and fully man because he didn't have that earthly father. He, and so we, we're used to a miraculous virgin birth. And sometimes we read Abraham and Sarah and we think of something like that. And I go, no. I was, re I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson and he said, Abraham and Sarah had their child just like everybody else had their child. That God gave them intimacy and pleasure at 99 and 90. And the, Hebrew, and the Greek language shows that clearly. I won't mention it because of the children in the audience. But God enabled her. Just imagine if you come to church on Wednesday nights and we have we have a section called expectant mothers, and I think it's empty now, so we need some, some mothers to be expectant, all right? Uh, and you looked on there, and one of our 90-year-olds is on there, and you go, man, Tim made a mistake on that announcement, didn't he? You wouldn't blame Morgan, you'd blame me, you know? <laughs> Morgan's back there, that's right, it's all Tim's fault, you know? She's learned well. But God enabled these old people to have a baby. And what God is doing through the writer of this is encouraging that God will enable you. 
to do His will, what He's called you to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. He's been misused. It's been quoted by football teams and athletes and salesmen and all sorts of things. But the idea is that there's a circumstance whether I have plenty or in poverty, whether I'm rich or poor, I can do all things. I can endure any situation that God puts me in. I can endure grief. I can endure pain. I can endure cancer. I can endure this by the grace of God. God will enable us to do His will. We're able to do it. Let's move on so we can get the third point in. By faith, they obeyed and became pilgrims, aliens, and strangers. By faith, they were enabled to do the will of God and fulfill His promises. And by faith, they were faithful to the very end. It says in verse 13, still living by faith when they died. They're still living by faith when they died. They hadn't gotten the total promises of God. He didn't have a family as big as and numerous as the stars in the sky. He didn't have the land from the river to the sea. All he owned was a little bitty place to bury his wife. But faith enabled him to see from a distance that God's promises were going to come true. You see, we live and we're enabled to live and be faithful to the very end by the grace of God. One of the great doctrines of the church is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Which means the saints persevere, or God preserves the saints. You know, our friends might call it once saved, always saved, but it, it's more active, it's more dynamic than that. There's, a, there's a, a work in us, there's a striving in us, there's a going in us, an obeying in us. It's not just we stamp our ticket and punch our ticket and we, we're in. No, it's a, a journey we start. Luther says, it's harder than we might think sometimes to walk by faith. I'm paraphrasing. It was hard, paraphrasing again, Luther said it was hard to leave, but journeying wasn't very easy. You know, living in tents and having to fight enemies and all of that, that wasn't easy. And then he said, getting to the promised land and finding out that it wasn't going to be his yet, but it was a future promise to be filled, wasn't easy either. And that we can only persevere to the end by faith. The faith of God. Faith in God. Genuine faith just keeps going. Whatever God's called you to do, to be holy, godly. And then there's this last statement that I want to read and kind of have ringing in your ears you leave. It says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God. We've talked about this several times before that it says without faith it's impossible to please God for he who is going to come to God must first exist that he first believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him that God can be pleased with us God can reward our activities and here it's saying he's not afraid to call them ashamed to call them God I'm their, I'm their God Think about that, just for a second. You, I'll just make it personal. I've never been ashamed to introduce my wife or children. I mean, it's my great pleasure. Hey, this is my wife, Sarah. This is, these are my kids. These are my grandkids. I'm so proud of them, you know. doesn't mean they're perfect. I'm so proud of them. That's the idea here. Who's God pleased with? Who's God not ashamed of? Those who are pilgrims who are looking for a different and better country, those who have a, a city whose foundation is God. If you're on the journey, 
Even if you're in the hill of difficulty or the slew of despond, God is not ashamed to call you his person. This is what Jonathan Edwards wrote, and I want to close with this. Listen to this. He talks about us journeying and us becoming, seeking God. It's a great quote. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature, and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness which our souls can ever be satisfied with. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers and husbands and wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is a substance. They are but scattered beams, but God is a sun. They are streams, but God is a fountain. They are but drops, but God is the ocean. Therefore, it becomes us to spend this life only as a journey towards heaven. And it becomes us to make the seeking of our highest end and proper good, the whole work of our life, to which we should subordinate all other things. Why we should labor for, set our hearts on anything else, but that which is our proper end, True happiness found in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather today like Pilgrim did in the house beautiful. And we can be encouraged by your people of what you've done in the past. And we can read your promises and know that you're faithful about what's uh, going to happen in the future. And because of the past and the present right here in the middle of the uh, past and the future right here in the present, we can live by faith. Like you did, Sarah, enable us to do your will and bring honor and glory to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our closing hymn is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, 598. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen.